0: Welcome to the 24th episode of the Head KO podcast. Today, we're going to be taking a look at UFC Fight Night, Marvin Vittori versus Kevin Holland. So we're obviously going to be taking a look at the main event. Then after that, we're going to be looking at some of the other big fights. Those fights being Sadiq Youssef versus Arnold Allen and Mackenzie Dern versus Nina Nunez. And we are going to also discuss Mike Perry, but I'm not going to get too in depth in that fight there. I'm just going to talk about Mike Perry and his career after that there were some other interesting things that we need to talk about that happened last week we had one championship that card had eddie alvarez and demetrius johnson on it so we're going to be taking a look at that and i'm going to give some of my opinions on one as an organization overall and then after that we're going to be taking a look at some other news a couple fight announce announcements uh two or three nothing too major and then after that I am going to talk about L. Sterling's injury and how that is going to affect uh, his rematch with Piotr Jan. So, before we get started, go follow me on my other social media accounts. Uh, the big two are Twitter and TikTok. So, Twitter, the ad is HeadkickKOPod, and TikTok, it is just HeadkickKOPodcast. So, go follow me on those. Uh, you can ask me questions. DM me do whatever you want if you ask a question and it's a good enough question and I think it's something interesting to talk about I'll talk about it on the podcast if it's just something short I'll answer it on Twitter and I post a lot on both of those social medias I do fight predictions on TikTok and I address some major news things on TikTok and on Twitter I just have it's more of a casual discussion on Twitter so if you want to be more interactive those are some ways you can do it. Twitter and TikTok are the big ones for that. So, uh, Kevin Holland versus Marvin Vittori. Now Marvin Vittori came in and implemented the game plan that Derek the same game plan as Derek Brunson. and he had a very impressive performance. He was able to take Kevin Holland down and he was able to control position very well. Um, I think he did better than Brunson did in the against Kevin Holland. Because in this fight, Marvin Vittori was able to take Kevin Holland down. And Holland was being more active on the bottom in terms of reversing positions and trying to stand up. So we saw some improvements from Kevin Holland in that category just based off activity alone. But despite that activity, Marvin Vittori was still able to control this fight on the ground. And that's something that a lot of people predicted coming into this. It looked like a very, I don't want to say a very similar matchup because Derek Brunson is such a great wrestler, but so is Marvin Vittori. So we saw Vittori come in and just man, I don't want to say manhandle, but control Kevin Holland on the ground. When when Kevin had this fight standing, he looked very good, especially in the first round. He was able to keep it at a distance. Uh, he was hitting leg kicks. He landed some good punches throughout the entirety of the fight. He fought, fought through some adversity. He had it looked like his eye was completely closed after the uh, by the time the second round ended. So, even though Vittori was very dominant, I think we saw improvements from Holland just based off his mindset and activity in there, which is something that is good to see because I think he saw some of the criticisms that people had in his behavior in the Derrick Brunson fight which was only 3 weeks ago and he kind of changed those actions. And did what he could to improve. Obviously, when it's only three weeks, there's not much that you can do in terms of improving skill set. You can only really improve attitude when you're fighting on three weeks' notice. So, um, I wasn't really expecting to see a big uptick in wrestling from Kevin, but you know, he did what he had. He did what he could do in such a short period. So, I respect him for that. Now, what is next for Marvin Vittore after this impressive performance? He's calling for a title shot. I don't know if he's going to get that title shot. I really don't. He has already fought Adesanya. It was a long time ago, but Adesanya has been hesitant of rematches, which is something that we've seen. And if Izzy's going to give anyone a rematch, it's probably going to go to Robert Whittaker. If you look at the rankings, Rob has since his loss to Izzy, Rob has beat Jared Cannonier and Darren Till who are currently ranked who are currently ranked 3 and 5. Um Darren Till is probably going to move down to 6. So we'll just say for sake of argument that Robert Whitaker has beat 3 and 6. And on top of that, we had he is fighting Cal- Calvin Gastelum next week who is currently ranked 8th. Meanwhile, um in sense Vittori's last loss, he has only beat two ranked opponents, those opponents being Kevin Holland and Jack Hermanson. Now, no disrespect to Hermanson and Holland, but they're ranked 7 and 10, so I think at this point, we need for we need Vittori to get a win in the top five, I think, before he can get that title shot. Um, he only has two ranked wins, and Kevin Holland right now isn't looking like the best win, Considering he's coming off two losses to Brunson and Vittori, he doesn't have a a win against another ranked fighter at 185, and it's looking like he's going to move down to 170 more than likely. So right now, I think Vittori needs to get another win in the top five, and I think he should be given someone of high ranking because he has looked good, and I think he deserves a highly ranked opponent. I just don't think it's time yet for him to get that championship match. First first and foremost, obviously, if Robert Whitaker wins, I'm pretty I can pretty confidently say he'll get that fight. And I think most people will agree with me on that. And if if Robert Whitaker loses on on Saturday to Kelvin Gastelum, there will be a real argument that Vittori can get that title shot. There will be a far more far more of an argument then. But like I said, if Whitaker wins, it's going to be pretty much wrap it up. He's getting the title shot. Um, the fans, the fans thought he deserved his title shot after he beat Cannonier. So adding on another win, I mean, the UFC would be pretty hard pressed to make that matchup. But like I said, if Whitaker loses, Vittori's going to have a shot. I think it'll be an outside shot, but he may be able to squeak in there. Um, we can go more in depth about that next week, but if in the situation that Robert loses, obviously, but for right now, I think the best, the best um, match matchup for Vittori would be Cannoneer or Paulo Costa. That's my personal opinion. Someone who's ranked highly, and or you could go if Robert Whitaker loses on Saturday, you could potentially go Whitaker versus Vittori. Um, there's a lot of different roads here. There's a lot of guys in this 185-pound division that aren't matched up, and there's some guys who are injured. You know, we haven't had an update on Cannoneer's broken arm and in, uh, in since it happened, really. Um, we haven't seen news on that. I've been keeping an eye out for that, and I haven't seen anything. Paulo Costa had to pull out with injury. Darren Till broke his collarbone. So the top of this division at 185 pounds is pretty beat up. and it, But at the same time, it's also opened. This isn't a situation where a bunch of guys are booked. And for Vittori, I would suggest not being too picky because if you can get Paulo, if you can get Cannoneer, if you could get Whitaker in the situation that he loses, if you can get any of those guys, a win over them will propel you to the title shot. Um, Derek Brunson, possibly. If you get a win over Brunson, you could possibly make the case for a title shot. It's all depending on... What is he wants because he has a lot of say in that division. But I think one more big win for Vittori could get him there, but I don't think he's there yet. So like I said, we'll touch more on that next week uh, because we'll have the answer to Robert Whittaker versus Calvin Gastelum. So we'll know for sure uh, where, where those two guys are going to fit into this. And then for Kevin Holland, Kevin Holland is still, I know he's lost his last two, but he's still incredibly talented especially on the feet he he had his wrestling exposed but in both those fights we saw in the limited amount of time that it spent on the feet he looked very good it looked like he hurt Marvin at the end of the third round I believe it was he landed a big shot in the fifth round against Brunson he almost finished him in the second and I think he got he got a borderline knockdown I don't know if it was technically ruled a knockdown but Derek Brunson had both hands on the mat after he after Kevin Holland landed a hook on him. So we are we're seeing Kevin Holland land some good shots and he's proven that he's a great striker, but he needs work on that wrestling. Now, part of the reason he's so deficient in the wrestling category, part of it is technique and skill. Yes, but there's also a big part of it that is his size I mean, he was—he's not really cutting weight. He weighed in at 183 pounds. He's really a tweener between 170 and 185. And for Holland, it's tough for him because he's got this gimmick going where he'll fight anyone, anywhere. But to do that, you can't really cut weight. So Kevin Holland's in an interesting position where I think the size is a big factor. And by dealing with the size, he can close the gap on the techniques and skills quicker so I think Holland needs to decide he either needs to commit to 185 and add muscle mass because he has the length of 185 pounder but right now he's undersized in terms of strength but I think if he hits the weights and adds muscle mass he could build out his frame and be a force at 185 right now he's a little skinny and he's not really cut much I think he's skin- he's He's smaller than Adesanya right now, and Adesanya is one of the smaller 185 pounders. So he's probably significantly smaller than Izzy too because Izzy is taller, I think, but Izzy has a bit more muscle on him than Kevin Holland. So Kevin Holland needs needs to go one or two roads. He can add weight and, and muscle, or he can cut down to 170. Both are going to be interesting experiments because those are both big commitments. But I think he needs to make one of them. At 170, you have good wrestlers as well. But imagine Kevin Holland at 170; he'd be a difficult guy to to deal with on the feet. You have imagine Holland against someone—literally any of those guys in the top ten. There, Usman. Usman would Kevin Holland would present a bunch of struggles for Usman on the feet when it is on the feet. And if he can work out some wrestling, he could be a problem for a lot of those guys. He'd be a problem for Colby on the feet with that, like I said, with that range. Right now, he has big reach advantages over 185 pounders. He would have massive, massive reach advantages on 170 pounders. So, but like I said, the wrestling de- deficit would still be there. So I'm not saying he could go out there and he could beat all these top five guys at 170. But what I am saying is that on the feet, he would give them all challenges and if he can find ways to cover up for the gaps in his wrestling, then he would be a force to reckon with at 185 or 170. But he has to decide. He has to commit to one of those weight classes, either cut the weight or put on weight to be a bigger 185 pounder. Kevin Holland is never going to have to get to the point at 185 where he's big like Paulo Costa and has to cut from 215 to you know, 185. Excuse me, But he does have to get to a point where he's cutting at least a little bit of weight. Right now, he's 183, he weighed in at. If he can get to 190, 195, he's not really cutting that much weight, and his frame would be built out a lot more. So that's just something for Kevin that he's going to have to decide on, and when he does decide, I'm sure we'll hear about it, and we will be seeing Kevin Holland sooner rather than later. And then in the co-main, we had Arnold Allen versus Sadiq Yusuf. Now, I was surprised they made this matchup because these are two of the top 145-pound prospects in the UFC. So, we are putting two prospects against each other, and Arnold Allen comes out on top. And it was a very impressive performance by Arnold. Both guys look good. I think both guys proved why they're top prospects, but Arnold Allen proved that he came in with a better game plan and performed better even though even though Yusuf looked good Arnold Allen did look a little bit better and I think these guys are going to be mainstays in the top 15 for that 145 pound division and they could both climb up to be top 10 guys Allen is a top 10 guy and is probably going to get a big opportunity here soon so We're going to have to wait and see for that. But I think we're going to be seeing these guys in the 145-pound division for a long time. They're both relatively young. And for for Arnold Allen, this 145-pound division is interesting because, Allen, we have to decide what is next for Allen. Jeremy Stevens is fighting at 155 next. He is taking on Drakkar Close. So... Looking at other guys in the top eight for Arnold Allen, because I want to see him move up in the rankings, and I think most people would agree with me on that. So you have Josh Emmett would be an interesting matchup, and Kelvin Katar is the matchup that many people have been calling for, which I think is the right matchup. I think Kelvin Kater versus Arnold Allen is the best possible matchup for both of those guys. However, Kelvin is still going through concussion protocol, so we are going to have to wait if we want to see that. And it's unclear when Kelvin is going to return. So I don't think we should make Allen sit around and wait for Kelvin Cater to get healthy. I think we do need to get him a match depending on how soon he wants to fight. I think Josh Emmett would be an interesting match. Right now we have Dan Ige versus the Korean Zombie booked. And you have Yair who is currently suspended. But I think he's coming off his suspension relatively soon. Um... However, he has been inactive. Even if he's still, com- even if his suspension is lifted soon, he has been inactive. So, and if for y- I imagine that they'd try and book Zabit versus Yair in the situation where Yair comes off his suspension. So, there is not really a lot of options for Arnold Allen right now. I think that Josh Hemmett is the direction they should look towards, um, assuming that Kelvin is needs a long period of time to recover which I think he will because he fought in January against Max Holloway and he's still going through concussion protocols so no rush on Calvin so let's look for Arnold Allen versus Josh Emmett in my opinion and for Sadiq Yusuf, I think he I think there's a lot of good prospects at 145 right now, and I think we could match up Sadiq with another one of those guys, one of those guys who is knocking on the door at 145. I would have loved to see Sadiq versus Giga Chikadze, but Giga is fighting Cub Swanson. Gavin Tucker, who is another big prospect, just fought um, Dan Ige. You have Ila Tuporia, who's a big prospect, but he's fighting Ryan Hall. So, there, a lot of these guys are booked up. There are still some guys, though, and I'd like to see Yusuf versus another another one. of. There's so many guys right now at 145 who deserve to get a ranked opponent, and I think you should give Sadiq to one of those guys. So, that's just my opinion on that, and really, as long as it's someone who's outside of the top 15 who is deserving of a ranked opponent, I think that's the best direction for Sadiq. And then the last big fight, an important fight that we had, I don't want to say important, but the last uh, newsworthy fight was Mackenzie Dern versus Nina Nunez. Now, Mackenzie Dern is constantly improving. She got a big opportunity here against Nina Nunez, who is the fifth-ranked fighter at 115, and she looked impressive. The knock on Mackenzie Dern has always been the stand-up because she is obviously a Big time, BJJ black belt, highly respected on the ground. So people always look at the striking as the area of concern. Now, Nina is a incredible striker. She has very diverse strikes. And Mackenzie Dern was able to close the distance and pressure Nina back, which really took away a lot of the striking that Nina has. She didn't let her get in open space to be creative. And she put a lot of pressure on her, and she threw some big shots, which forced um forced Nina to get on the back of the cage, and eventually allowed Mackenzie to get a takedown. And then once she got to takedown, it was pretty much over. She is the thing that I like about Mackenzie's during grappling is she never rushes anything. She always takes it slow. She never she did have a um position. Uh, I shouldn't say she never risks position. She, she advances submissions in a way that makes it hard to change positions um, on, for the opponent. She's always very conservative on, in that ground, but still advances those submissions forward. When she's chasing that submission on Nina, that armbar that she eventually got, there was never a time where you were like, oh... um. Nina is going to escape here. She always looked under control and slowly works her way into the submission and eventually finishes it. And I think that is so impressive the way that she can methodically and just pick you apart on the ground. It's nothing that she's doing that is, you know, it's not like um, it's not a Habib type of grappling where he's so much stronger and so much, so much more dominant. It's slow and it's, it's, so technically strong that it's really tough to deal with in its own right and Mackenzie Dern I'd like to see her in there with I don't want to see her advance too far here in this 115 pound division I know she just got a win over the number five ranked uh woman in that division But I'd still like to see her kind of take it slow and develop rather than get pushed right in that title picture. I think what this fight did prove is that Mackenzie Dern has title potential. I don't know if she has the title skills right now. I think the stand-up still needs a little bit of work before she gets in there with an elite uh, and one of those top three, four girls in that division because once you get in the top half of this division, you have, and we do have the strawweight title fight in two weeks here, but if you're looking at someone like Zhang Weili, Ioana Jacek, Rose Namajunas, these are all very good striker, strikers who are technically sound, Well, Dern is lacking a little bit in the technicality. She looks more like a brawler at this point, throwing, she kind of threw some wild shots, uh, very tough on the feet, and I, but she is making improvements. The, the striking is not as big of an issue as it was two years ago. She's made leaps and bounds in the striking department. That's why I say we don't throw her in there right now with one of those top uh, top three, I'd say, with in between Zhang, Rose, and Joanna Because they're so technically strong striking, they're elite, elite, elite level strikers. Stern is not at that level yet. And if she does get to that level, she will be the champ for a long time. So give her some time to close the gap in that striking department. Don't throw her in there right away against one of those, um, that, one of those fighters. So who should she fight? Right now, she beat number five, Nina Nunez. I think an interesting matchup would be Tatiana Suarez. She's an elite wrestler when Darren is an elite BJJ artist, so we would have a little bit of a throwback BJJ versus wrestling. But a lot of times those fights end up taking place on the feet, so it, that would be very interesting to see. And um but that's that's the main fight I think I'd like to see is Tatiana versus Tatiana versus Mackenzie Dern. That'd be interesting and Tatiana, we don't really know when she's returning. We've heard rumors that she wants to return. So, if she is returning soon, I think Dern is the right fight. Outside, assuming Suarez isn't returning quite yet, you can go several different directions. Right now, I'd like to see Carla Esparza versus Mackenzie Dern. I think that would be a fun fight. Now, the question is, she, Carla, is currently booked against Jan Janan versus in, let's see, that is... That's on the Cody Garbrandt versus Rob Font card. I believe that is May twenty second, um, sometime in May. So they are fighting relatively soon. You could look at Marina Rodriguez. I think would be a really good matchup. So someone of that tier, not the that that second tier, right? Not the top three. I think the top three in that division are so strong. Between, like I said before. Waylee, Rose, Joanna. I think we should give her someone just outside that tier, um, like a Yan like a Janon, Carla, Marina Rodriguez. I think that group, someone out of that group, would be the best for Mackenzie Dern because it gives her time to work on her striking more and it gives her some time to um, grow uh, as a striker and as an MMA artist because right now she is looking very good, but. If we can get that striking up just a little bit more and keep growing there, she is going to be a problem, an absolute problem. You can see the potential, so give her time to let that potential grow rather than just shove her in there against someone in the top three, as I've seen some people say. So Marina Rodriguez or probably the loser of Carla Esparza versus Yao Jinan because the winner is going to be looking... Close to a title fight, maybe a fight with Iwana, to determine the next challenger for that 115-pound belt. But so the lo- the loser of that fight, Omarino Rodriguez, would be um, my number one pick for Mackenzie Dern, and I am excited to see Mackenzie Dern back in action whenever whenever that happens. Now, the last thing I wanted to talk about from this card was Mike Perry. And before we talk about Mike Perry, let's just acknowledge Daniel Rodriguez's great performance. He went out there and did very good. He did exactly what he needed to do to win. Went out there and threw ones and twos and some hooks and really beat up Mike, Mike Perry. And he did enough grappling to uh, negate Mike Perry's wrestling. So very, very good performance by Daniel Rodriguez. I'm excited to see what he can do. But I want to talk about Mike Perry because this performance from Mike Perry was pretty interesting. He didn't show much head movement, and I'm not sitting here trying to bash Mike Perry, but I think Mike Perry would agree with all the things I'm saying because after the fight, he had an Instagram post, and he said something along the lines of, this isn't, this isn't a direct quote. This is um, my recollection. He pretty much said something along the lines of, I used to be great, and I'm not just there anymore. I'm just not there anymore which if we pull up Mike Perry's record, you would be able to see that. He started off very strong in the UFC, got that fight against Cowboy that he earned, had some good performances against Luque, Vicente Luque, and then, you know, he just hasn't continued at that same level. I mean, he started off as a bright prospect, and then he eventually loses. You know, he's got to win over Paul Felder, you know, but he's got he was at one point in his career he was you know 10 and 0 it looks like or close to that now he's he started off where are these UFC fights he started off 2 and 0 in the UFC then loses drops one and then wins wins again and he looked like he was going to be a big time he was a big time prospect for the UFC and he's kind of fell off as of late since you know he's got the loss to Means and Rodriguez, this hasn't looked great for Mike Perry. And I don't know what he's still got one fight under his UFC contract, and I imagine that will play out. that what the future looks like for Mike Perry is going to be interesting because it's not that he's not talented. it's just that he's underperforming. I think Mike Perry has the talent and the ability to go out there, and have some, you know, some great fights and some great performances. I just think he's underperforming to his potential. I don't know. I don't know why that is. He, you know, it's really when someone is underperforming to their ability as someone watching from the outside, it's really impossible to tell because you don't know what's going on in their life. But for Mike Perry, all I can say is I hope he goes out there and he gets a win, and I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of Mike Perry, But um, he has put himself out there and talked a lot about his family and his emotions as of late. So for someone who has done that, I'd like to see him get a win. And then hopefully uh, the UFC gives him a contract extension and hopefully he can start turning things around. That is the last thing that I wanted to talk about from UFC Fight Night, Holland versus Vittori. So now we're gonna move into another, the other section that we do, which is other news, but that's gonna start off with One FC. Now, if you didn't watch One FC, this was on TNT, free on TNT. The One the FC is going to grow. It's going to become much more popular because as long as you're doing free cards on TNT, it was uh it was on at ten o'clock Eastern time. That's the time zone I'm in. So if you start if you put cards on at 10, 10 Eastern time on a Wednesday with Demetrius Johnson and Eddie Alvarez, you're gonna have a big fan base watching that. Um, UFC hardcores are gonna watch that, and obviously the big big MMA hardcores are going to watch ONE FC regardless. But you're gonna get more of a you're gonna get more of the audience that is just UFC fans. And you're going to be introducing them to your product. Now, this went good and bad for 1FC. In the main event, we had Demetrius Johnson versus... um. Why is the other guy's name slipping my mind? Um, my apologies here. Just a second. Um, Demetrius Johnson. And I typed in 1FC. And the first thing that came up was... is. One FC better than the UFC. So let's not. uh, Let's not blow this out of proportion here. Google. So. All right. Adriano Morais. Thank you. He is. Adriano Morais looked very good here. He wins the first round. And he out wrestled Demetrius Johnson. Whether that is. I think. And I think a large portion of that is pure skill. I don't think that DJ has slowed down or looked worse, uh, maybe a little bit, but not enough to, you know, kind of ignore the skill gap. Adriano Morais is a absolutely talented fighter. He trains out of ATT, and that's where Jorge, Justin Poirier, um, those type, that's that whole group of fighters, and they all said he was good. They said he's legit. And he went out there and had a very good performance against Demetrius Johnson. Now, the ending of this fight, if you didn't see, it was a knee to a grounded opponent. And that is legal in 1FC. And I think that brings a big question here of if that should be legal. I personally uh, don't believe so. I don't think that... I think it's... It sounds weird saying it's dangerous because we have people fighting in a cage. So, yes, it's dangerous. But I think the majority of the time that you see someone land a knee to a grounded opponent, you see the opponent get knocked out. So I think that just goes to show how dangerous those are. They're a reason that they're illegal in the UFC. And I think it should stay that way. But for 1FC, I'm not the biggest fan of them, but they are going to stay. And I will keep watching 1FC, so I'm not trying to make it seem like it's that major of an issue. But it's just a small thing there. And then we had Eddie Alvarez who got DQ'd uh, um, against one of the best ONE FC lightweights. This was this was a crap call. If you didn't watch it, Eddie, Al- there's uh, a whole lot went into this. I posted my initial reactions on TikTok. Sorry for another plug to the TikTok, but if you go to my TikTok, there is a. My initial reaction, I made a video directly after it happened, posted that on TikTok, and then I posted the video of Eddie Alvarez's DQ. So if you haven't seen the DQ video, go to my TikTok. It's the most recent TikTok I've posted. So you will get my initial reactions to the DQ followed by the DQ itself, if you don't know what I'm referring to. But um, I will try and describe it. Basically, Eddie had his head... He was using his head to his control his opponent, and he couldn't see where the strikes were landing. And he's throwing strikes, and they're landing to the back of the head. The ref—you can't really hear the ref warn Eddie until he stops, the, until he separates them. And then when that happens, uh, the other his opponent does not get up, and that ends the fight. And Eddie Alvarez is DQ'd. The big thing here is that these strikes were not intentional these weren't intentional blows to the back of the head they were incidental and eddie was not warned he didn't know that he was doing this so in my eyes it should have been you could make the case that it should have been a tko for eddie but you could have also made the case it should have been a no contest i think no contest is the best route because i don't like giving someone a tko after strikes that are borderline illegal it's just it looked like they were landing to the back of the head. So for the sake of the defensive guy in that position, give it a no contest. And But in no situation, we could sit here and debate no contest TKO for Eddie either day, any day of the week. But regardless, it's not deserving of a disqualification loss. And that's, that's, you know, I think that's about as simple as, as simple as I can say it is that he didn't deserve to get DQ'd in no, in no world was that worthy of a DQ. So that was absolutely ridiculous. And I, it was in like the first minute of the fight and Eddie was looking good. He came out, got a takedown, was controlling on the ground, landing ground a pound until that happened. So I'm excited to see Eddie back in soon. Hopefully, they give him another guy who's ranked really highly at 1FC, and hopefully, Eddie can go out there and perform because Eddie has been a mainstay in the MMA world, whether that's his fights over in Bellator, the wars he's had in the UFC, or what he's doing now in one. So, hopefully, Eddie gets an opportunity sooner rather than later. And... One FC, I'm just going to say a couple blanket statements about One FC. Like I said earlier, I'm going to repeat this. If One FC keeps putting on free cards on on TNT on Wednesday nights, I'll keep watching them. I guess the night of the week doesn't really matter. Just don't put it on at the same time as UFC and I'll watch. So any night of the week, as long as it's free and not on the same time as UFC, I'll be watching One FC. The One FC is very... They have very talented fighters. Sergio Morais is a great fighter. John Lineker over there. They have uh, DJ Eddie Alvarez. They have a lot of very talented fighters. They have some great prospects. Rug Rug was on that card and got a very dominant win. If you don't know who Rug Rug is, he was a sensation over in Africa. Off of a, they have like a traditional martial art in Africa which is done. By varying tribes, I'm not an expert on that or exactly what that is, but he was the best at that—a very traditional, old-school mixed martial art—and he is bringing his game to the world of MMA. And he is three and zero. He's an athletic specimen, and he has looked—he looked very good in his most recent performance. So keep an eye out for Rug Rug. He has a similar, similar—I don't want to say similar origin origin story to Francis and but a lot of people are comparing comparing him to Francis just because, you know, grow, grew up in Africa. Very different, but I've seen the comparison. Probably not a great comparison, but that is something that is out there, and that may be something that you hear again. So keep an eye out for Rug Rug. But like I said, 1FC has some very talented fighters, and 1FC is very fun to watch. You have... You have if you've never watched one one FC, you have MMA bouts, you have kickboxing bouts, you have Muay Thai bouts, all on the same card. So that is something that is very interesting and fun to watch, and it kind of breaks, it changes the pacing a little bit of uh, the fights you're watching. You know, you see, you saw, you saw great wrestling in uh, the DJ in Sergio, Sergio Morais match, and then the next fight's a Muay Thai fight, which with two top Muay Thai guys. Uh, Rod Hang is a great Muay Thai artist and he won that fight. So there's a, you're mixing, you're mixing several. It's, it's interesting because you're mixing martial arts in terms of what you're watching. You're not doing them at the same time, obviously, but you're mixing it for the viewing experience with that, which I think is something very interesting. I don't suggest any other organization to do it other than one because they already have it in place. And The big thing, the only problem with that that I see for one is they have, sometimes they're in a ring, sometimes they're in a cage. Muay Thai is better in a ring. MMA is better in a cage. So you have to kind of give and take here. And that presents some issues for that. And I've seen some people say that the UFC should try this, but that would be ridiculous the UFC cannot implement this because it's it would not work. And the main reason it wouldn't work is because you would have guys, you know, they'd be in MMA, they'd be in the Muay Thai section, they'd be in the kickboxing section, and it would get crazy. For example, those guys who talk about, um, so you would have, say, Habib, you would have Conor challenging, challenging Habib to a Muay Thai match or a kickboxing match. You would have you know these guys who make comments about uh wrestling like Masvidal versus Usman Masvidal always talks about how Usman you know is a it's the same things you see with strikers criticizing wrestlers you would see those same strikers who crit- criticize wrestlers you would see them calling out those wrestlers to Muay Thai matches and kickboxing matches and it would just get silly um and then they would try to reflect those things in the MMA rankings and it would just be a whole situation that would be wild. Imagine if Masvidal and Usman, imagine if they were fighting in two weeks and it would be in Muay Thai or kickboxing. Because I imagine that if we tried doing that in the UFC, we would see guys like Masvidal would probably be a big one. Nate Diaz would probably be a big one. Those types, guys like that would try and get in Muay Thai matches with wrestlers. Conor would probably do that. Conor would have probably called for... Uh, a Dustin Poirier match and just boxing, probably call for a Max Holloway match and just pure boxing. So this just, and then we would see guys say Masvidal and Usman fight in Muay Thai, and then Masvidal wins because he's probably the better striker at this point in their careers. I think, I think Masvidal, or I think Kamara was growing into striking and I think he could be an elite, elite striker like Masvidal one day, but right now I'd probably give that match to uh, Masvidal if they fought in a Muay Thai match. So just for the case of argument here you would see Masvidal beat Usman in a Muay Thai match and then you'd see him say hey I'm the champion I beat him in a Muay Thai match I'm the MMA champion and it would just get sloppy and it would not work out well it would cause a whole list of issues because I think in the U in one has done a great job of having them separated you have the Muay, guy, Muay Thai guys one set of rankings you have kickboxing one set MMA one set And these guys aren't really interchanging all too much. And I think in the UFC, that's where the issues would come in and guys trying to dip their toe in all of those uh, different combat sports rather than just focusing on the MMA. And so that's just something that I wanted to talk about because I saw that notion that the UFC should try this mixing. I think mixing can work if, if... you have them separated like one does, but then you still have the the cage or ring issue. So I think this brings a lot of issues to the UFC that they don't currently have. So just keep it out for now. Eventually, if you can, you might be able to make it work one day, that's fine. But right now, just keep it out until maybe one FC finds a way to get this ironed down and 100%. And then it may be something to look at. But like I said, for right now, it's not the best idea, in my opinion. And the other two things that I want to bring up here for 1FC that I didn't see people talking about is the hydration testing and the performance-enhancing drug policies. These are two things that I think are holding one back from being a um, almost, I don't want to say legitimate legitimate organization, but... Um, Viewed as a legitimate organization by um, the American fan base, because America is so anti PED in comparison to other places of the world, and right now when you know ONE FC doesn't really have a steroid, a steroid testing policy, they claim to be working with I think it's WADA, the World, um, same thing as USADA, but it's just World instead of um, just the USA, but very not the same thing, similar things. So they were working with WADA, allegedly, to give their fighters drug and PED tests. But Gary Tonin, who is over in One FC, who is a big Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitor, and very respected in that field. He has talked about how he didn't think they were testing. And they're not very transparent with those things. Same with the weight cutting. You have... All the weight classes are bumped up 10 pounds because, for example, flyweight is 135 and one because they're not supposed to cut weight. So um, I don't know exactly how that works because they're hydration testing to make sure people aren't dehydrating when they're weighing in, which in theory is great. But then we see guys who are massive for weight classes. Like when you see a UFC guy go from UFC to one, like DJ moved up from 135 to, or 125 to 135, and now he's staying at 135. You've seen guys like, you've seen guys like Eddie, who was at 155, and now I believe it's 170. You saw the reverse with Ben Askren. He was at 185, moved down to 170 when it came to the UFC. So, it's really such an... It's such an interesting thing because you see big size differences. Eddie's opponent was far bigger than him. DJ's opponent was far bigger than him. And I think I think those guys are like Maurice has made 125 before, but how much is he cutting to get to 135? You know, hydration tests aren't the most complex thing to um Skew. I have taken hydration tests in the past for wrestling, um, and you know, there. If you wanted to, it's relatively simple on how you cheat those. I mean, they're they're from the experience of that I've seen with those. Is it's nothing that is too too crazy, and one hasn't really proven to be a rep, reputable um, organization as. They, like I just said about the drug testing, they've been very non-transparent with these things, which I think arises issues to the American fan base that maybe other places of the world are willing to overlook, but a lot of American fans and UK fans really look down on those ideas of PEDs and this whole weight cutting thing, which in theory, if one FC has this weight cutting system that works, that's great. But the problem is, is I'm not sure if it's working. And a lot of people I've seen, I saw many people questioning the legitimacy of their hydration testing policies. And the problem is, if you ask 1FC about that, you're not going to get a clear answer. You probably leave more, more confused. And I'm saying that because I have looked into this. I've looked into both the steroid and PED testings and the hydration tests and they're they're not they're not easy to figure out what exactly is going on and that's not because i you know was half or i was half you know not paying attention reading articles you there's been quotes from fighters in one that don't understand fully how it works so i think this is something that if, if one fc is very reputable in terms of skill they have a lot of talented guys and if they can flush out some of these other things, 1FC is going to be looking very good. Right now, they've done well, and I'm not a big fan of 1FC, and for many reasons, like I just said, but if 1FC can kind of iron out these couple issues and combining that with the talent that they have, I think they have more talented fighters than Bellator. They're certainly deeper than Bellator. The top-tier guys at Bellator, like Pitbull and um, Lima and Bader, these guys may be better than the guys at one. One is the best or better in terms of the lighter weight classes. Their flyweight, their bantamweight are great. Um, Bellator is probably better in the 170, 185 and light heavyweight categories, heavyweight category. So, and, but one is definitely deeper. Um, just if you look at the top five at Bellator, you get down to five like Fedor is the number five ranked guy in the Bellator heavyweight division. So I think one is better in that sense in terms of depth. Bella, or, yeah, one is better in depth and while well, they have a couple of the couple of top tier fighters at the top, they don't have as many as Bellator does. And I'd be interested I'd be interested to see Bellator and one cross promotion. We've had a lot of talk about cross promotion. Um, Pitbull has talked about cross promotion a lot. I don't think the UFC is going to cross promote, but I think if one and Bellator cross promote, that'd be very good for both companies. As long as it's good for both companies, as long as they both have bright spots. Say you put the champions up against up against each other from Bellator and one. As long as they each, you know, as long as one doesn't win every single match or something like that, which I don't think would happen. But if you each get a couple wins, you know, I think it'd be very good for both organizations. But there's hurdles, you know, like I was talking about earlier with the grounded knee rules, the weight classes are a tad different. There'd be issues you'd have to iron out, but I think it could be very beneficial for both organizations. And I think you would have to see cross promotion between one and Bellator before you see cross promotion between the UFC and um, another organization. I don't think the UFC is going to be the first organization to cross-promote is what I'm saying. And we have seen One and Ryzen cross-promote. So I don't think that that is... um, I don't think that... I'm not saying that cross-promotion hasn't happened before. That's not what I was trying to say there earlier. Um, It has happened. But I don't think Ryzen is quite as good as One or Bellator... So a one in rise cross-promotion isn't going to get you as much notoriety as a one in Bellator would um, in terms of getting the UFC into cross-promotion. And I doubt that it, it'd, be, it'd be a struggle to get the UFC to cross-promote. When you have a perception, this has been pretty long-winded on one here, huh? But when you have a perception of the UFC as being the best organization in combat sports, If you allow for the cross promotion to happen and then the UFC gets, you know, the the UFC is risking so much when they're not really getting much back because this wouldn't have a big casual appeal. Imagine if you walked up to a casual and said, hey, you know who Sergio Morais is? They'd say, huh? You know, so and that's and that's not even that's not even you'd have to be a hardcore, hardcore MMA fan. There's hardcore UFC fans who don't know anything about one and don't care about Bellator. So you would be... you would For the UFC to do this, they would be catering to such a niche group that they're putting so much at risk for little reward. So I don't think we'll ever see the UFC cross-promote. But I think a one and Bellator thing would be a cool idea. So um, the other news outside of One FC um, is... The Eljamein Sterling injury. Now, I've seen a lot of people want to hate on L. Joe Okay, a lot of people think he is ducking a rematch with Piotr Jan. Now, I'm. This is. I'm just gonna lay the case of what is happening here. We have Eljamein Sterling who has to get a fusion in his neck and an artificial disc replacement. He's going to be out until at least October. October is the date that he wants to return. So, um, and a lot of, he's not getting the surgery to run from Jan. His next fight is going to be against Pyotr Jan, regardless. If he gets surgery, if he doesn't get surgery, he's going to be fighting Pyotr Jan next, okay? Regardless. So I don't know where this narrative is coming from that he's trying to run from Jan because he's getting surgery. He's, he's fighting yeah next regardless. We're absolutely regardless he's fighting yeah next. Is he pushing the timetable for this fight? Yes, is it for an is it for an illogical reason? No. Getting surgery, taking the commitment to get surgery would that just be silly if that would be so silly to to get a surgery just to avoid a fight. Especially in the situation when you're going to fight that person. This isn't like Kyler Jan's another contender and El Jermaine Sterling is just another contender where we can just move on if we don't see that fight we have to see this fight so is Algermain going to put himself under in put himself in a situation where he has to get surgery and that would probably affect his cardio which we saw was one of the biggest issues in the first fight was cardio and if El Joe goes and gets surgery and say he's got to be you know rested up in bed for three weeks he's gonna be putting himself in a major setback for cardio so you know he's he's not getting he's got to get surgery he's got to get surgery you know he's not getting surgery to try and duck and dodge and he's if anything it's putting himself in a worse position I don't want to say worse position to get surgery but if if he wasn't injured and he was getting surgery he'd be putting himself in a worse position since he's actually injured and he needs the surgery you know he's this is the best thing he can do for himself and a lot of people are just not believing the fact that he's injured why would someone who is not injured get surgery it just doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense at all so can you criticize Eljo for the things he's done and how he won the belt and those um things yes okay you can criticize him for that can you criticize an injured fighter for getting surgery no that just doesn't make sense and people are saying, oh. If he can't fight until October because he's getting surgery, he should be stripped. That doesn't make sense either because if a champion wins the belt and when did he win that? He won it in April or did he win it? He won it in March or April and he's fighting again that same year. If every single champion who took extended time off had their belt stripped, you would have saw Stipe get the belt stripped before the DC Trilogy You would have saw Wei Li get the belt stripped because she hasn't fought in over a year. She has, she's fighting in two weeks and she fought last, um, she fought over a year ago now. You know, we're not seeing other champions get stripped for having to deal with injuries. So you, just because of the way Aljo won the belt, you can't, he won the belt via disqualification. That doesn't mean he should get treated differently than every other UFC fighter and Piotr Jan won the belt in, um, last year, Piotr Jan won the belt in the summer. It was either June or July last summer. He won the belt and then he was scheduled to fight Eljo in December and he pulled out of that fight and they pushed it back to March. So we've seen Piotr Jan did this to Eljo. So this isn't a situation where Eljo is, you know, doing something completely unreasonable. Um, Jan was never injured and had to push back the first fight and now Eljo is injured so he's pushing back the second fight this is something that is completely normal in the fight business and it's something that happens all the time just because you don't like Aljamain Sterling because you think he faked how he won the belt or for whatever reason that doesn't mean just because you don't like him doesn't mean he should get treated differently than another champion would or another fighter would. And in all fairness to Aljamain Sterling, he has been on the he has been on the bad end of the UFC. The UFC did tried to screw Aljo over in terms of having him fight Corey Sandhagen when he probably already earned a title shot before that. He didn't really need to take that Sandhagen match to earn a title shot, but he said, "You know what? Let me beat Sandhagen." So he had to go to 1,000% to get that title shot. You know, he wasn't gifted anything. He said, let me go out there and cement my case for a title shot by beating Corvus Sandhagen, who we've seen Corey in his last two fights has had great performances against the likes of Marlon Moraes and Frankie Edgar. So in hindsight, that win has aged very well. And since then, they booked Corey against Marlon Moraes and they tried getting that fight, They tried getting Cody Garbrandt versus Piotr Jan. That card was, or that, um, Cody Garbrandt's return was higher up on the card than Sandhagen and Eljo. So it's not like the UFC has been overly nice to Eljo in terms of getting him his first title shot. He's, we went through a lot to get that title shot, and now all he's asking is, hey, I need surgery. I'd like to hopefully return by October. That's not a, that's not a, unreasonable timeline to ask for for a return that's march april may june july august september october seven months that's not unreasonable for someone to ask for and unfortunately the division is going to be pushed back a little bit because you have sandhagen and you have dillashaw fighting and you have font versus garbrandt so and this is this is a product of the 135-pound division being so good. If this division wasn't so good, it wouldn't be as big of an issue. But when you have Jan, who is an uncrowned champion in many, many people's eyes, the return of Dillashaw, you have Corey Sanhagen, who's put on spectacular performances. When you've had all these things, it makes people want to see that belt defended so frequently. And at this point, it's just not realistic. And that is something that people are going to have to work through. And kind of, you know, like I said, you can't really blame Aljamain Sterling for, you know, needing a a surgery and a a relatively serious one at that. And then the the last piece of news, the last two pieces of news we have today are fight announcements. The last the two fight announcements being Neil Magny versus Jeff Neal was booked for May 8th. And tied to Ivasa versus Greg Hardy was booked for July 10th. July 10th is Connor versus Poirier, so that's another fight on that card. These are two fights where I think these are the best fights that the UFC could book at this time for these fighters. Neil versus uh, Neil versus Magny is really good. They're both coming off a loss to guys who are ranked directly next to each other in the rankings, I believe. um, In Thompson and. uh, Thompson, and Kiesa, So they're two guys who are in the same range, in the same situation. Get them in there against each other, great matchmaking. Tied Tuivasa, Greg Hardy, two guys who heavyweights, throw big hands, boxing fundamental, I don't want to say fundamentals, but majority boxing from a striking aspect. And both in similar positions of their career where they've had some ups, had some downs, So, Tai Tui Vasa, Greg Hardy, absolutely great matchmaking. So, I didn't want to end today's episode without announcing those fights to you, if you are listening. If you haven't seen those, and kind of give the matchmakers credits for the matches they've been making. Because the UFC matchmaking has been on fire. We talked about it last week. We had like five or six announcements last week that were all great, great announcements. So, great matchmaking for the UFC. Had to say that. And once again, make sure to follow the Twitter at Pod and the TikTok at Podcast. Send questions my way. Tag me in things you want me to see. Um, I'll see it. I'll talk to you. We'll be interactive. And if you ask, if you have a question that you want me to talk about on the podcast, I'll talk about it on the podcast. It's a little way for you guys to be a part of the podcast. So either of those things, you know, go follow on those social medias and thank you for watching this episode of the head kick ko podcast